Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell, my uh, partner in crime. Peyton Jones is on vacation this week, taking a, a much-needed vacation, so we don't get him on today's podcast. I know you're all disappointed, as am I especially, um, but uh, that's all right, because we're still going to give you some great value. So today, I have a special guest, and you have heard us refer to this special guest before on the podcast and it is White Tyrone. White Tyrone, welcome to the podcast. Why, thank you. Thank you very much. I, yes, I am Tyrone Peterson, affectionately referred to as the White Tyrone. And, you know, I'm sorry, Peyton's not here. Hey, uh, Pete, what, what episode is this? Uh, this will be number 90, 90. Lucky 90. It is a 91? No, no, it's 90. Oh, yeah. Ah, there you go. All right. I listen to this podcast every week. I love the Church Planner podcast. Yeah, but that's because we pay you to say that. So, yeah, that's true. But you pay me in peanuts, and that's the awkward part. <laughs> it's amazing what you can get for peanuts. That's all I got to say. Well said. So, uh, anyway, okay. White Tyrone, what we're going to be covering today is um, actually a little bit of really interesting information on uh, church planting, and, and I want you to kind of share your story of, uh, first of all, coming to faith, and um, you and your family have had quite a wild ride, so I'd love for you to share your story of coming to faith and the wild ride that you've had, and then where you've ended up today, and um, and I think, uh, I think these guys would really benefit from this, because right now you're... Are you actually planting a church where you're at, or is it just uh, missional community work there in that community that you're in? Uh, we are actually in the process of getting a church started. 
Yeah. So okay. um, we we did what's called a parachute, and so we didn't know anybody in this community. God called us here, and I guess we can kind of cover that today if you'd like. But um, God brought us here, and and we're meeting unsaved people, uh, people that would never go to church ever, and we're trying to bring church to them in a way that's a movement of Christ. Great, awesome. So yeah, go ahead and tell us your story of coming to faith, and and take us through your your life and how you got to where you guys are at today. Well. Uh, so I was born to a family where my dad left when I was very young. I was two years old. My dad actually called himself a medical, I'm sorry, a marijuana missionary. Um, and so I, he, I, I got so confused this whole mar, uh, medical marijuana thing for a moment there. I'm not, I'm, I, I'm not on medical marijuana. I probably should make a note of that, but um, it's always important, right? This will be played in Colorado. Um, but uh, the idea that he, he really wanted to just, he was a peace guy, and um, and so he was a protester, and he would go around, and he would sell pot everywhere he went, and then he would talk about why we should disarm nuclear. Um, and so uh, he left, and when he left, he left five of us, and my mom raised five of us, um, and we just never went to church. In fact, I remember the, the first time I really went to church, I was five years old, and I was baptized as a Catholic. Now, there's there's millennial Catholics, which are once in a thousand years, and that was us, right? And so we actually ended up going in, and, and I got baptized, and I never went back. So when I was 10, a woman in our neighborhood held a uh, probably a 20-minute vacation Bible school in her house and said, hey, if you want to go to heaven and not go to hell, uh, please just go ahead and raise your hands. And so I, I gave my life to the Lord that day, and I, and I walked away from him almost immediately. I had my mom said, hey, if you want to go to church, you can walk to church. And it was two miles away and you can only go to this one church. And it was a Catholic church. And we really had no choice. We're in the middle of St. Paul. Um, and so, you know, I, I just I did what everybody else did. I, I went out and partied and I did all kinds of stupid things. And I went to college and I got accepted at two pretty prestigious universities, which wasn't bad for a kid who came from a you know, mom making ten thousand dollars a year, raising five kids. Um and instead, I went to a small college where they originally were designed to send kids into the ministry. And I didn't know that when I signed up, but I got my degree in business and religion, which is kind of funny. I want to get my doctorate and teach. And after college, after getting my degree in business and religion, I went into the workforce. And I was active and I was busy and I was successful and I was broken. And so – uh, I started a great search about who is God and, and God, who, who could you be? You know, now, mind you, when I was young, I'd give my life to Christ. But, you know, I, I, I got lost. Right. I was like a blind man of the dark kind of, you know, trying to search around, trying to figure out where I was. I was I was doubly blind because I'd kind of been inoculated to, to Christ. Right. I had heard about it as a kid and I kind of walked away from it. Um, and so instead, I started searching and I, I use my, my college background to help me. So I went, I interviewed a pantheist and this lady's holding onto a coffee cup and she, she drinks out of it and she goes, this coffee cup is a God. And she puts it on her table. And I said, well, is a table a God too? And she said, yes. And I said, so you just put one God on top of another. And she said, yes, you get it. And I said, no, I don't. And I waved my hand. And I walked out. And then I looked at, uh, at Hinduism and there's 333 million gods. In, in their in their belief system, and I was like, that makes no sense. And I looked at Buddhism, I looked at Islam, I looked at, at at all these things. I looked at Judaism and realized Judaism was fulfilled in Christianity. That 
that Christ was the Messiah. And so uh, I started looking at churches. And on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, 1996, when everyone else was out getting drunk, I went into a church and I heard a service about shame and how God could take away all of your shame because your shame had been put upon Jesus. And uh, right then and there, I walked forward, gave my life to Christ uh, fully, just said, hey, I'll follow you constantly. And, you know, there's been ups and downs, you know, uh, when you first, uh, you know, uh, hear about Christ, you start making wrong decisions or you don't know what the right things are. But God has been faithfully walking me through things. Uh, Ten years to the day, unintentionally, my family and I, my beautiful wife, Rachel, and our two daughters, we moved to Mexico to be missionaries. And we were missionaries in Mexico and Honduras. I came back, worked in corporate America again, where I sold software. And uh, then God called us to Cambodia, uh, where we served uh, kids who were either at risk for trafficking or had been trafficked, either sexually or labor trafficked. Hmm. And uh, from there, uh, went on into uh, coming back to the United States. And we believe God's called us to South Florida originally to really focus on trafficking, um, but also to start churches. Because churches uh, are ways we're going to make disciples, and disciples are going to be the ones who are going to be able to stop trafficking for Christ. Does that uh, kind of give you uh, caught up, right? Yeah. How old were you when uh, on that St. Patty's Day that you you know came to Christ um, wholeheartedly? Sure, I was twenty-five. And were you married at that point? Yeah, yeah. So I'd gotten married. Um, I'm sorry. Actually, wait. I just lost my mind there. No, I ha- I wasn't married at that point. So, uh, in fact, I could have been married because my wife wasn't 18 yet. Um, so, no, I wasn't married. I was, uh, <laughs> it depends on what state you're in. <laughs> <laughs> wow, golly, yeah, that's probably a good point. No, um, uh, so I was 25. See, and, this is why we need um, Peyton here, because when I get on, it's no holds barred, man. <laughs> yeah, Peyton, Peyton would be... Hi, I understand you're probably a bit nervous about being on a podcast for the first time. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so, no, that's that's kind of the uh, – can we start all over again? <laughs> nope. My poor wife. There's there's no starting over so, again, man. <laughs> oh, no. So, no, uh, I was not I was not married. In fact, I went, met my wife three years later uh, or uh, two years later at a, uh, at a Bible study. And a year after that, we were married. Hmm. Wow! So she's and she's amazing, and and she is a she's she's a superstar. She she really makes this marriage rock. She's a she's the fun one out of the two of us. And you've met her, so you know. I I did meet her, but you know what? I met you guys for such a short period of time. Um, Peyton and I met you when we were out at Exponential. Um, when was that? April? Something like that. Yeah, I uh, know it was May. It was May. May, and um, I could barely remember that what you looked like, other than I knew you were a white Tyrone. I know. I'm telling what? you, that's why I love Google Hangouts because then I can like really cement the face to the name. I, I implore everybody to send Pete Mitchell a picture of themselves right now, so that he will remember who you are. So when he talks to me, he knows who you are. Hey, you got to be careful when you say that because you never know what kind of pictures they're going to actually send. Pen, send good. Uh, wholesome, wholesome. Wholesome, nothing, you know. Uh, but you you were actually the guy that after I, after I took that dolphin that was filled with helium and uh, accidentally forgot to turn it on, 
you were the one that were able to get it down off that like 25 foot ceiling by taking another yeah, yeah. helium balloon and like putting tape on it. And I don't even know what you did. And then as soon as you gave it to Libby Peyton's daughter, she immediately she let it go call. again. <laughs> I want to watch it float. Is it, is, is it still there or were you able to get it down? Oh, we left it. We left it. <laughs> we were nice. just like, we left that, yeah, but we, we did also leave the tank of helium behind too. You know, they, they frown oh, on you taking nice. a tank of helium on an airplane when you're flying back. So, you know, we yeah, thought that they, church could they use usually it. don't. It's bigger than three ounces. You can't really carry it. So you know what's funny though is um, that meeting. It was it was really nice meeting you and Peyton there because uh, you know first of all I have a ton of respect for what Peyton does. He's a Bible pastor. He's Bible occasional, or has been throughout his life, and he has used a lot of his business uh, interactions to lead people to Christ. And, and much like yourself, Pete, um, and you know that's that's really what I focus on, which is. I believe we're all called to be missionaries to our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and to the outermost reaches of the earth. And I, I really believe that church planning and church planners are local missionaries. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. In fact, um, one of the reasons, uh, Tyrone, so everyone knows that that we've got you on today's podcast, is one of the things that we wanted to talk about was different ways that church planners can um, fund their ministry, that they can be bivocational. And uh, you and I were talking about this and just decided to have you on partially because um, you are, you're unique in the sense that you are a salesman. I mean, that's what you are. And one of the unique skills that I think people can develop, because I don't believe that people are born naturally to be salesmen. Um, some people do take to it quicker than others, but I don't believe anyone's born that way. I believe it's a learned skill. And I believe it's a skill that anybody can learn. <laughs> Excuse me. Anybody can learn. But what I kind of like about sales, and I've said this before on the podcast, is it's a great way where a church planter, provided they go into the right industry, um, they can kind of control their income when they become good at sales. And um, and that's one of the things that's allowed you to do some of the stuff that you've done is being bivocational. I mean, you talked kind of briefly about, oh, you know, I sold some software, but you've actually been, you know, at a high level selling software. Um, so just kind of tell us a little bit about how you got into sales. Is that a, you know, an extension, if you will, of your college experience where you said you got a degree in business and in religion, or, you know, how did you end up going into the field of sales? Uh, that's a great question. So every person in my family has been in sales. My sister owned her own firm. She and her husband did. And so as an adjunct, she sold. Uh, my brother Dudley was one of the top car salesmen in the U.S. My brother Jeffrey was one of the top software salesmen. My brother Brad was one of the top uh, pharmaceutical, well, not really pharmaceutical drug reps, not really drug reps. Um, illegal narcotics guys in the state of Minnesota. I, I was so that's wondering if that's where you were going with that, man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's the truth. And, you know, it's uh, when you have a gift, you're going to run with it, right? And uh, he's a very gifted guy. And did I lose you? No, he had to run. That's, you had me at that. So I, I figured. Nice, nice. <laughs> we, uh, no, it's uh, so he was, he, he was very gifted. And, you know, I'm the youngest by at least seven years. Oh wow! So when you see you, when you see your old family selling, you just kind of go, "Well, uh, I could probably do this." And I thought about teaching. 
Um, but uh, and that's really what I wanted to do. But I looked at my giftings and said, you know, I, I'm I'm really more of an influencer, and I'm really great at talking to people. So I should follow this. And you know, the truth is, um, we hear all the time about people using their skill sets for the kingdom. You know, um, a lot of great theologians have also been great lawyers. John Calvin was a was was a lawyer, right? Um, and uh, you know, great musicians get to use their gifts. But you know, really in sales, your skills are designed around people. Your skills are designed around the thing that God loves the most, besides His Son, right? He He, he loves people, and so and we're made in His image, and so. Everything I do from a sales standpoint is designed around interacting with people. And, and by the way, you're right. I, I, I had a lot of success selling software. Um, you know, uh, you can look up on LinkedIn and see some of the things I've done. But the greatest success I've ever had is leading people to Christ. That's that's the most important thing um, I could ever do. Sure, of course. Of course it is. How would you say, though, that um, – well – I, I want to be careful in how I position this because I don't want people to get the impression that um, that evangelism is selling, but in a way it is selling. I mean, we, we're we're like you said, it's it's an influencer influencer position, and we are influencing people for Christ. Um, how would you say that the two skill sets interact? Um, you know influencing people for Christ and, and selling software? Like what are some of the similarities? And I know that's going to sound like a weird question to people, but, but there's something I want to get at here. So I'm hoping you can help me arrive at that point. Yeah, I think, I think I know exactly where you're trying to go. In fact, when I first uh, got saved, when I first decided to be a, a disciple of Christ, I sat down and said, great. Now I can sell everybody Christ. And I used to tell people, the only difference is now I'm selling the perfect product. And the truth is, um, that's really a wrong way to look at it. What, what I think of it now as the listening skills that I developed in selling, the ability to identify needs within a person's life, uh, within a person's business, that's really what I do. So when I'm talking to somebody, uh, two months ago, I led a young Muslim man to the Lord, and he's still walking with Jesus. Uh, you know, it wasn't just kind of a decision and he ran away. No, he's he's following as a disciple of Christ. Well, how do we do that? Part of it was listening to the pains he was going through, listening to the disconnectedness in his life, and really trying to uh, explain to him, here's where, you know, here's what God has for you, and here's how much God loves you, and then bridging that gap. You know, um, uh, I'm talking to people, when you talk to people who uh, who's, Families were murdered by the Khmer Rouge, and you know they're looking for meaning and reason in their lives. And why were they spared? They were they're experiencing um, uh, survivors' guilt. You have to be able to really understand where they're coming from. You can just show up and just slap the Bible at them, right? And that's what I think a lot of these traditional evangelical uh, movement kind of things are. Let me give you the four spiritual laws. I have nothing wrong with with a campus crusade for Christ now called crew. I love them. I love what they do, but we all know that you're going to show up and you're going to tell people A, B, C, D now get saved. And a lot of times we meet with resistance and this sales background really gives us a chance to listen, hear what they're going through and then try to provide um, the only solution that's out there, which is Christ. And I think one of the reasons why it's such a tough, uh, 
you know, correlation between selling and evangelism that, that we have such a problem with as a, as a people is because there are so many bad sales people out there, you know, um, Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, you, you talked about a, a brother that, you know, was involved in car sales, right? And that's uh, that's right down there with insurance sales, which is what I've done most of my life is insurance sales. But, you know, um, you know, we think of that and we're like, oh, you know, it's the used car salesman. And so we don't even want to relate that skill set to being an evangelist because we've got this bad impression right. of what salespeople are. And in fact, it's one of the things that in marketing and selling, we're, we're constantly combating against that. So like we realize the general public already has that perception. They already don't like salespeople. They already think very uh, lowly of salespeople. So we have to take that into consideration when we're marketing to people or we're selling to them. So one of the things that I always like to tell people is, you know, you you have this bad impression of salespeople until you meet a really good one. And then you're like, oh, well, that guy is – he's not such a bad person. He's pretty good. I, I kind of <laughs> like that. Person. Right, right. And, oh, he's not like all the rest. You know, he's unique. He's different. And I bring that up because – there, there's a right way to sell and there's a wrong way to sell. And certainly like one of my favorite shows on TV is American greed. And I don't know if you've ever seen that show Tyrone, cause it's, it's on like CNBC or something like that, but it's always like financial crimes and having been uh, a financial oh, planner. Yeah. 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 Having been a financial planner for so many years, you know, I love watching that show because part of me is like, I don't understand why people would, give these people their money. And another part of me is like, right. I totally get it, right? They're really good at selling. They're selling what people actually want, which is, you know, guaranteed, can't lose, can only make money, you know, all the stuff that the stock market isn't, <laughs> you know, when you're going to do financial planning, you, right. you kind of got to be honest with people and say, hey, look, you know, yeah, this is past performance and that's no indication of the future. And the reality is we could lose money here. And so we need to have a backup right. plan. We need to have stop loss. But anyway, my, my whole point in all of that is I think that selling is one of the greatest skill sets that a church planner can have, not just from an evangelical standpoint. Like you mentioned, um, listening to people, great salespeople. I mean, great ones, not the, not the crappy ones that we're all thinking about, but the great ones. The great ones know how to ask questions. And that's really what a lot of great selling is. The questions become your ammo and you just, you're, you're pulling out information from your, your prospect and you're getting them to paint the picture of where they're at and where they want to go. And then a great salesman then is able to look at that and go, okay, well, this does fit up with the product that I'm offering or it doesn't. And if it does, let me show them how this is going to, you know, get them along that path, get them to where they're trying to go. And it's kind of the same way with evangelism. Uh, a, a big part of it, like you said, is just listening. It's listening and asking the questions and getting to find out about them because they will tell you what you need to know. They will tell you how to connect the dots and show them, you know, it, I, I'm sorry you went through that as a kid. I'm sorry you were abused. I'm sorry, you know, whatever. And, you know, let me tell you about Jesus and let me tell you about God's love and let me tell you how, you know, he can fix that, you know, or, or whatever the case may be. I don't want to just say fix because, I mean, it's different in each situation how they need heal. to 
he that's a that. that's a much better word much better word so um you know you mentioned that you've done software sales i i want to i'm always like trying to throw into the mind of our church planners you know if you can get into sales it can be a great thing for you um if you're bivocational and you need to make money. And one of the reasons I believe that is because salespeople are one of those few industries where really your income is controlled by you. Now you can't do that in every right. business that has sales, uh, you know, but you can do it in a lot. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned car sales and everyone looks down on car sales. Well, you know, first of all, when you're a salesman, that's one of the few positions where you can pretty much go into almost any company and get a job because every company needs a salesperson and they're always looking for the next good one. And literally you could go into any car dealership and get a job and people go, Oh, I don't want to be a car detailer or a car detailer or car uh, salesman. Well, who are you trying to reach? Let me tell you the guys who work at, at auto shops, a lot of times are the ideal people of who you're trying to reach. I mean, it could be a great place to get started. And it's where a lot of people I think do get started in their, their selling career. Um, will be at, you know, places like that because it is so easy to get a job because quite frankly, you do get burned out really quickly. You know, a lot of companies are just, you know, they burn you, right. You know, it's like, bring them in, right. We're going to work them really hard and they're going to be gone. And the great ones, though, I mean, they really, you know, hold on to it. I mean, I've met car car sales guys who are making hundreds of thousands a year. Um, one guy, there's mm -hmm. a, a guy right by us. We've got this uh, a big motor company called Fletcher Jones. It's really a high-end uh, company, and, and they sell a lot of high-end cars, high-end Mercedes, um, things like that. And... He always saw himself. I mean, he, he was at this company for 16 years and everyone knew him. I mean, if you made money, he was the guy that you would go see to go buy your car. And then one day he, um, <clears throat> for a short period of time, he, he went to the used car side and he started selling some of the used cars. Now his mindset was, you know, I sell the high end Mercedes. I don't sell used cars. Right. So he had this mindset of that's not right. what I do. And he said, though, as soon as he got over to the used car side, that's where he could actually afford to make so much more money because there was so much more profit on the used car side that he just walked away from all the ego of, I don't do, you know, used cars. He walked away from that ego that he had and he said, look, I'm going to sell used cars because I can make more money over here. And that's what he did. Right. He was able to support his family better. So, I mean, my whole point in bringing all of this up is that we sometimes as church planners will just, you know, there's some things I don't want to do. You know, I'm, I would rather go work at Starbucks. I'd rather go whatever. But I, I want church planners to feel okay and free with this idea that, hey, you know, maybe I need to go into sales. Maybe I need to become a real estate agent. Maybe I need to go sell some cars. Um, I think it's a great way, personally, that you can really control your income. Just my thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, Pete, I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, the hard part uh, with car sales a lot of times is for church planners, you can't, you don't have a set schedule. And so you don't get Sundays off yeah. or you don't get, and, and, you know, and so if your services are Sundays instead of Sunday nights or Sunday uh, or Saturday nights, then you're really in a pickle, right? You've got to be able to get consistent time. So I do hear that. I think the value of sales is, look, <clears throat> If you're going to be a church planner, nine times out of ten, 
you're going to have to be able to talk to people. And it's not always true, but it was true in the missions field. Um, missionaries typically are type A people with father issues, right? And so we have a desire to please our father. Um, and typically most of them are gregarious because they realize before you move to a new country, you've got to be good at making friends. Well, sales is a great way to sharpen those skills and sharpen that tool set. <clears throat> you know, and so I think that's a, that's a, you're absolutely right about that. And you can do any kind of sales. Um, I don't do multi-level sales. I, I know people that do. I don't have an issue with it. Um, you know, my wife sells Mary Kay, uh, but I, I don't because I don't want to have to constantly be talking to people and having them think I'm selling them something else, right? I want to be able to put this in – if I'm selling cars, that's in a box. If I'm selling real estate, that's in a box. Um, not that I, I don't live a, a life of integrity, but I've got to be able to put that aside so that when I do start talking with Christ, it's a, I don't care if when I'm selling, I'm sharing Christ, but I'm sharing Christ. I never want to be selling. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And I think you actually bring up a good point. One of the things that Peyton and I have talked about before on the podcast is, um, it's my recommendation. It's our recommendation that you don't sell people in your congregation. Um, it creates a a weirdness and it's one of the reasons Mm -hmm. that, I mean, I am like, I've been in multi-levels. And as far as a business model is concerned, it's a phenomenal, great business model. I don't happen to be good at it. Right. I'm really horrible at recruiting people. I'm, I'm not good at training. One of the things that you're good at is training. I'm not good at that. I'm just good at doing it, right? That, that's my skill set. Right. My skill set is I can sell, I can market, uh, but training it and passing it on to the next guy, that's not really what my skill set is. And I've come to realize that. But multi-levels will sometimes creep into the church and I mean, especially out here in California, like there's been these jewelry ones and stuff like that. And it just like, all of a sudden it's weird, right? It's like, I'm going to church or am I going to the next jewelry meeting? And I, I don't get it. Right. And I, so it's something that I encourage our church planners. It's fine if you want to do that. I mean, I've been in multi-levels for insurance and all that stuff, but my advice is keep that outside of your church. Um, let the right. church be about the church and not about selling anything in there. It's about the church. And, you know, what you Absolutely. do for income, do for income, but just do it outside of the church. Because as that that head of the church, as that church planner, you've got a big influence over people. And you just want to be very careful about how you use your influence. And, you know, I think the challenge is that, um, you know, let's face it, planning a church is difficult, right? Um I will tell you that the moment we came back from being missionaries and we started playing churches, our support dropped to one third of what it had been. Right. And we started building it up. We started building up. We came down to Florida and now, uh, after being in Florida now, almost, almost five months, our support was already low, <laughs> has dropped dramatically. Uh, people just aren't, you know, if you're there, a lot of times you can get support. Um, so especially for those guys who are kind of parachuting in, um, anything can be tempting, but we just have to remember it's all about Christ. Um, now, by the way, I'm going to back up an MLM and say, well, there's one reason why, if I were you, I would consider any kind of MLM is, and this is why my wife is doing what she's doing is because it gives her a chance to meet people. Mm. And that's when you parachute into a city, you have to literally look and say, okay, I have no ego. 
I have no right to myself. What am I going to do? And so um, my bride looked up and said, I've got to meet people. And, and Pete, my goal, my personal goal is to meet five new people a day, right? So I go to the store, I'm at Starbucks, wherever, I'm meeting people. I'm not handing out cards necessarily. I'm not uh, getting phone numbers, but I'm meeting new people because I'm in a community, right? I live in, in Coral Springs, Florida, which is, a, which is a suburb of Fort Lauderdale. And when you're, when you're here, I mean, I, I, I'm going to see these people over and over and over again. And in a city of 120,000 people, if I meet five people a day, it's going to take me quite a bit of time to meet everybody. You know, it's going to take me about eight years. So um, my wife, who isn't good at meeting new people, decided to do something like that just in order to meet people, in order to kind of get out into her community. It, it creates a false event, what we call a false event. It's, it's, um, it's just not, it's not natural or organic. You're like, hey, you've got to go out, you've got to go to the scene, you've got to meet these people. Okay, great, let's do it. And so she goes to trainings, she hangs out with the ladies. She's really focused less on selling, more on meeting people. Well, and you know, that that actually is a brilliant idea. I mean, I really, really love that idea as a way to actually meet people because um, understanding the dynamics of a multi-level network marketing type of company, they're constantly bringing in new people to you to meet. Yes. So, I mean, that's that's actually a really cool idea. I really like that idea. And one of the other things, too, that I'll say, if, if we've got a church planner right now that's listening and going, well, you know, I'm really not good at selling or how do I learn how to sell? I will tell you that it's most, the greatest place. Yeah, most multi-level companies are phenomenal at training because the people that they bring into their business generally don't have a sales background. So they've already realized we have to teach people how to sell. And so I like to refer to them as uh, they're like massive uh, uh, self-help companies that have a, a good compensation plan that go along with it. So it, it, yeah. it actually is a great way to get started. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and said, well, how do I get into financial planning? And I'll actually point them at specific multi-level financial planning companies. And I'll go, you know, go over there because I know they've got a great training program. And, you know, you'll be able to learn financial planning. You'll be able to learn how to sell financial products. Go over there and learn it. And if you like them, stick with them. And, if you and, don't, go somewhere else. But it's a great place to learn. And, and with those organizations, you can keep your day job. Most of them, yeah. Exactly. You know, most, most of them. Hey, can I, uh, can I throw something out that could be a little offensive? Of course. We're big I was on hoping you would say here. yes. Uh, hey, look. Jesus, uh, many people would not want to think of Jesus as a salesman, but if you ever want to see a perfect example of somebody, um, be, uh, somebody having a great deal of influence and being an honest influencer is Jesus. And sales really just influencing somebody, getting, the, getting somebody to take uh, action on what it is you, you presented to them. You know, so if you look at uh, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells them to count the cost. Now, we don't think of that as a sales effort, but it really is. He's saying, look, you've got to make sure that you know what you're doing before you do this. And when you, when you make a disciple um, and you're out there, you're, you're talking to people, if it, it's actually the, it's more salesman-y to say, oh, look, if you get saved, your life's going to be great. You know, Jesus is going to take all of your problems. That's salesmanship. Jesus was the ultimate influencer, right? 
and who was honest about the way he influenced people. And he told people, look, if you follow me, there's, there's troubled waters ahead. Now, I'm going to give you peace. I'll be with you. I'm your Lord and Savior. But look, you've got to count the cost. And um, I think every salesperson that really wants to function and operate in, in, in the best way possible, they do well to follow his example of telling people, look, here's what, here's what you're going to get into. Um, whether you're selling a car, you don't want to sell a car to somebody who doesn't know how to drive. I've seen it happen, right? Or you could oversell software to a company that couldn't ever pay for its bill, and I've seen that happen. Um, or you could go out and make, you know, have somebody help somebody make a decision to follow Christ, and you could inoculate them to the truth because you don't tell them what is involved in being a disciple. Mm. So I, I, maybe I'm making a bit of a stretch with that, but I'm hoping the listeners forgive me. This is my first podcast, and I'm a little bit nervous. But uh, no, the idea is that. Jesus, Jesus was, was the ultimate influencer and he influenced honestly. And, and in sales, we can do the same thing. Um, if we follow his example. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Tyrone, I know we're running out of time. So let me ask you, um, just in the, in closing, can you share with everyone what you do for church planner magazine, um, and how they can reach out to you if it's something that they need? Sure. Hey, can I throw a shout out for Let's Go, my book up on Amazon? Oh, I'm sorry. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I got your text this morning. I got your text and you're like, uh, hey, can we talk about my book? Let's go. And I thought you were saying, let's go, like start the start the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize no, uh, that was the title of the book. Great. I guess you can tell I haven't read Tyrone's book. But uh, anyway, <laughs> tell everyone about your it's, book uh, first. So, I appreciate that. I, I wrote a daily devotional called Let's Go, Chiching, and uh, it's, it's available on Amazon. It was written during uh, our 18 months in Cambodia. It's 180 days to really turn your life around and pursue the passions, visions, and dreams that God has given you. Um, and it was written not only for people who have a missional or church planning mindset, but for people that come out of business, because that's kind of my background as well. And so it doesn't matter if you want to start a uh, an orphanage, if you want to start a non-profit to stop human trafficking, or if you want to make a for-profit business that's going to provide for your children long-term, God's giving you those goals, gifts, and, and uh, abilities. Let's go and use them. Awesome. I love it. I love it. So Tell everyone what you do for Church Planner Magazine. The last question was this? Yeah. So for Church Planner Magazine, what I do is I help Church Planner find advertisers. So if you... Uh, are an advertiser or you know an advertiser, uh, an organization that would want to have their information put up in Church Planner, organizations like MOPS, uh, Mothers of Preschoolers, which is a great organization, uh, or uh, Zulon or other publishers that are out there, uh, I contact them and then I help them get into uh, Church Planner Magazine. Awesome. And so how can they reach you if they want to advertise in Church Planner Magazine? That's a great question. They can reach me at Tyrone at churchplannermag.com. And it's it's uh, Tyrone, not White Tyrone, just Tyrone. That's right. That's just, just Tyrone. Tyrone. <laughs> well, awesome. And if Peyton were here, he would be saying, if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you've got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. But since he's not here, I'm going to leave my own tagline, which is, if you don't find yourself surrounded, you're in the wrong landing zone. Take care, everybody. We'll see you on the next Church Planner Podcast.
Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Thank you.